For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. Hi, this is Krillin. And this is Usopp. And you're listening to The Geek Show. And it is sun- Sunday evening, which means it's time for The Geek Show. Yeah. Hi, guys. How's it going? I'm back from Thought Bubble. I got the con flu, then I ungot the con flu, and then I edited everything. And got uh, editing flu. Yeah, a little bit, actually. <laughs> I, I, it was a hard wake-up this morning. I know you. I know how you work. Yeah. Uh, this is how Harry rolls. He works himself to the bone, and then gets ill, and spends a week recovering. But it's okay, I managed to do it in half a week this time, so I only got like half ill or something. So I'm getting better at it. It's totally something I should not <laughs> stop doing. It's totally something you should not brag about. Uh, so, however, to get me in the, in, the good, in the good Geek Show Spirit Times move, my microphone appears to be possessed. Sweet. Uh, to get me in the good Geek Show mood, look, look, Rob, here's all the comics I've bought slash got given at Thought Bubble. Yeah, but you still haven't read The Death of Captain Marvel. <laughs> Bug nuts. It's a good point. I have still forgotten. Or three. Agent X. Yeah, Rob lent me some comics. But but look, this one's by like internet people, and this one's Hark of Vagrant by Kate Beaton. She drew me a tiny fat Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's genius. Yep, she's pretty awesome. So yes. as you may be able to tell from the joyous opening. I've splayed all over the table in front of us yeah. things I've acquired from the Thought Bubble Comic Arts Festival in Leeds, which was last week. Yes. Uh, and I wasn't here on last week's show because I was over there getting loads of interviews and meeting people, and it was just, it was completely awesome. Uh, I'm really, I've been looking forward to this show all week long because there was so many great people. The staff at Thought Bubble <laughs> are 
lovely. They were all just so accommodating, and every every artist I met just said how they were. They tried their best to like help everyone feel accommodated and help everyone's needs be fulfilled. Yes,、uh, I was there with、uh, Jeff Banyard helping him out a bit. I was staying in his workshop, which is freezing cold,、uh, but there were sofas covered in leftover wool and fake fur. From the barbarian birthday party, so it was toasty and warm. I'm worried about the <laughs> about this <laughs> barbarian was, birthday party. Yeah, it was a themed birthday party. It was awesome.、Uh, with, so yeah, I hung out with him, ate strip, ate strip waffles, played a bit of Halo Four. It's not actually that bad. Fair enough. Strip waffles. Strip waffles. I've never had them before. They're delicious. They like, had them in、uh, Holland, didn't he? In the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had、uh, some Tesco's bought ones, but they were still good. <laughs> I, I should ask Phil to bring me some legit ones back next time he goes to Abenai. Ah, <laughs>、uh, but yes, that stuff is all coming up on the program, along with our flat assassin giveaway, which is the second、uh, prize giveaway we've got with our new thing of. We announced it this this week, yes. And then we have you have a whole week to enter it, and then we announce the winner on the next program. Yes.、Uh, so yes, look forward to that. But before that, we have news. Indeed, we have newses. We have seven pieces of newses. Yes. First one though. First one's my news. First one is Desert Bus Six has come to a close, and it was incredibly fun. So ridiculous. The, I, I'm I'm completely astounded that they actually made a lot of things work, considering a lot of the new systems. One of the fears that I、uh, discussed with Kathleen in the、uh, Learning Ready Run interview about Desert Bus Six, which you can find on GeekShow.co.uk, was that. Kickstarters happened, and so people have a lot less disposable income, which they give away freely like that. And they opened up the challenges system so that anyone could submit a challenge, anyone at all, and they'd randomise them, and they'd just have five in front of them on the screen, and you wouldn't have to pay to submit. People would just be asked, like they were busking for charity, to pay for it. And I, I was quite worried about this, but. Despite everything to hinder their progress, Desert Bus Six has gone in with a great theme of Desert Bus of br- bringing more than every previous year.、Uh, they raised four hundred and forty-two thousand two hundred four dollars and fifteen cents this year, which not only is amazing in itself. This means that over the six years of Desert Bus, their lifetime earnings have been over one million dollars raised for Child's Play. One million dollars. <laughs> Little finger, yeah, little lip. finger on lips. We're doing the the <laughs> Doctor Evil. So one million dollars. It's you do it better than I do. I still sound like the Shopping Channel for some reason. <laughs>、uh, I'm looking forward to Desert Bus like twelve or something when I get to kind of do the one hundred million bajillion fifillion shubadubadu million yen. <laughs> <laughs> no pesos. <laughs>、uh, Which equates to about ten pounds. <laughs> Fun facts of today is that、uh, the Desert Bus Marathon did 152 hours this year playing the worst game known to humanity,、uh, which has a contrast with another recent news story that Okun Kaya,、yeah. uh, who's an office manager,、uh, managed to get the world's longest gaming marathon record. Yes, playing of all the games, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 or Cod Blobs 2, as people <laughs> call it. Yes, it's Cod Blobs 2. Cod Blobs 2. So, I mean, why? Okay,、uh, how can you play a Call of Duty for 135 hours without going insane? Maybe the Plotline in the campaign mode is actually really thrilling this time. 
This and pause for laughter. This, this, I was going to say, this is Call of Duty we are talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gav, but n- not many of us have faith in the COD plot lines anymore, if Gavin Dund is listening. That's why we call it COD Blops. COD, COD Blops. <laughs> blop shot, blop shot. Automatic blop shot. Uh, but yeah, interestingly, so Desert Bus managed to raise with many people helping out. Uh, they did 152 hours. Okan Kaya, all by himself, one man, played Call of Duty Black Ops 2 for 135 hours straight. Yeah. Which is completely mental. Yeah, uh, well, here's the... Here's, here's the I don't know if I... Oh, when we share this news post, people look at his face. His eyes are black. It's like he's been in a hot... It's like he's been in card props being punched in the face. God, those baggy eyes. It's like he told me that he was going to be playing Cod Blops for 135 hours and I decided to punch him in the face. Uh, no. <laughs> Congratulations. Did I say that out loud? Um, <laughs> uh, Only the edit will tell. <laughs> oh, uh, but yeah. How can I tell him I have no inner monologue today? Uh, congratulations to, uh, to Okunkaya, though. Well, well done. Uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name there. It's a cool name, though. Congratulations to you. Even if yeah. I pronounce it wrong, it looks cool on paper. Do you know, here's the thing. At least it's Call of Duty, so there is a massive element to the game. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot, and there's like loads of prestige and room for like yeah. playing a lot of multiplayer. Yeah, but here's the thing. The previous record Ooh. was set by Christopher Gloyd and Timothy Bell, who played, of all the games, Resistance for 120 hours and seven minutes. I've played Resistance. I've finished it in like, what, seven and a half hours? Wow. <laughs> Which resistance? Because like it's resistance, as in the original, the one. original one. Wow! How can you play that game for 120 hours? How what? is World of Warcraft not on the top two here? This is my question. It's what just, about Eve? Just a I know, I know, guys who spend days mining Eve, and all they do is just mine asteroids. They, 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 they spend all their time. Basically, they just set their ships to mine asteroids, and in the background, it's like. I think that oh, one mining laser noises. Perhaps and they find that, it relaxing. Perhaps that one didn't count towards the record, considering it's more of a profession and less of a actual game at that point. Because there's a point where it ceases becomes a game and becomes a chore, like gear finding in World of Warcraft. Sorry, I'll be back on there later after the show. I'll see you guys later on Defias Brotherhood. In the meantime, <laughs> we are in the news section. We should keep things fun. You want to know what's fun? Minesweeper. You want to know what's also fun? Tumbleweeds. How do you combine these two with the bamboo minesweeper? Yeah, well, it, it's it's not exactly the game minesweeper. No, this no, that would be pretty life, awesome. This is real life minesweeping. Um, basically, what uh, some clever uh, some clever fella, some clever clubs. called Masoon Hassadi. Uh, he's an Afghan design graduate, and he's come up with this thing called the minecafon. It's a concept for a wind-powered minesweeper or an artificial tumbleweed. And, you know, it basically, through random gusts of wind, it just rolls around. It's just a giant ball type thing. It just rolls around the desert, and every time it lands on a mine, the mine blows it up. It maybe blows off one of its legs, but it's still able to keep going. And they're so cheap to make this as well, because mm. it's made from bamboo and various other bits. So, yeah, basically, they found a massive upgrade <laughs> from poking them with a very long stick. This is the brilliant bit, though. It looks basically like a bunch of plungers attached, attached to a central, central ball. What? And it only weighs 70 kilos, oh, God, but it's yeah. still heavy enough and big enough, it's 190 centimetres in diameter, to activate mines mm. as it rolls over them. It looks like a suction cup version of, what was that thing? The, uh, is it a buckyball? The balls that get bigger. Oh, 
The geometric things. Yeah, well, basically, uh, they call them buckyballs, but mm-hmm. uh, it's based on the Buckminster Fullerene crystal, um, which is the uh, new shape, which is the third shape that carbon, carbon atoms can take, which they thought was until that point, until Buckminster discovered it, uh, they thought mm-hmm. it was impossible to have a spherical carbon oh uh, i see carbon molecule yeah because carbon goes into it's either very it's plain it's either brittle if it goes into plates or it's strong as hell if it goes into diamond formats which is like a that's tetrahedral uh if it goes into tetrahedral uh tetrahedral format uh form it becomes diamond if Mm -hmm. it's planar then it's graphite science children yes and now that is being used to blow up mines with an artificial tumbleweed uh so now all it does mean that we're putting out a lot of work uh, we're putting a lot of tumbleweeds out of work that aren't in films anymore because of the number of westerns that have decreased, which is a shame. It also means that the wild tumbleweeds out in the Old West may slowly rise in power and number until they take over small towns by just rampaging through them. I don't know if you've been hit by a tumbleweed before. They are hard and prickly. They are not weak f- pieces of fluff like they look like on TV. So, tumbleweed, be warned. Yes. No. Um, <laughs> next one, uh, white smells. Right, I I showered earlier. I will have you know. Uh, Right, this is nothing to do with racism, for one thing. So let's clear that up. (laughs) We're not pointing. I'm not pointing at Harry here and saying white smells or anything like that. There's nothing racist about Mm. this. This also has nothing to do with Rob's natural pine tree scent. Yes, uh, you know, I'll have you know, I'm fresh as a daisy. It's not pine today. (laughs) Daisy, I'll have you know. She was replaced by Peach years ago. Princess Daisy? Yeah, uh, I was thinking, where does Zelda fit into my ablution habits? <laughs> Mario, I'll have you know. Mario, sorry, yeah. Uh, Zelda. Okay, sorry, yes. Okay. So, white smells. Yes, uh, you all know white noise, right? It's mm-hmm. basically that random... Uh, it's when loads of different frequencies kind mm-hmm. of uh, are bouncing off each other. You end up with just kind of like... Yeah, <laughs> it's the, yeah the... <laughs> Right. Invasion of the shower heads. And it, yeah. When you see it on TV screen, it's basically all of stuff on, TV, on the TV <laughs> screen. You know, it's basically a lot static. You mean static? <laughs> the war of the red, the white, and black ants. Yes, the war static. Of, the war of <laughs> <laughs> that. How could that possibly be the term for it? How would you spell dictionary? That thing that happens on old television. I tried to imagine how it would sound because you couldn't hear it. Were you deaf as a child? What? No, you couldn't. Can't you? Why can't you hear static? No, That's a thing. No, on the TV, the static, mm-hmm. all you got was that horrible hissing kind of... Yeah. Thing, right, which it sounded... Uh, I knew it wasn't what static actually sounded like, so I tried to imagine what it sounded like, and I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> it went somewhere between... And, and that... Blah, blah, blah. I, th- I think you'd seen way too much Doctor Who at this point. Possibly. So, white smells. Yes, white smells. <laughs> No matter how many times I say that, it just sounds racist. I know. It's why I'm trying to say it. It doesn't sound like you're trying to insult me. <laughs> go, Rob, go. All right, pardon the phrasing, but white noise isn't just a hum in the background. There is no pun intended there. Um, it's basically a frequency spectrum that's completely flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, every frequency has the same energy, so noise just kind of melts into an overall hum of nothingness. White smells are basically the same sort of thing. Um, there's a team of uh, scientists, uh, of neurobiologists, neurobiologists from the Weizmann Institute of Science, led by Tally Weiss, managed to create something called they call Lorax, 
which <laughs> I know Dr. Seuss is in here somewhere. Did the Lord, uh, have they got sponsorship and advertising into everything now? No, it's spelled L-A-U-R-A-X, not L-O-R. The Lurax. Yeah, the Lorax, because it's Laura and then X, isn't it? Oh, Lorax. Yeah. The female Lorax. And then, uh, and basically, there are several different versions of Lorax, each chemically different, but each smell white. Um, Weissner team first derived a range of 86 monomolecular odorants, which covered an effective spectrum of each of smell. Now, the thing is, where, with white smells, right, too many frequencies uh, combined in a one waveform means that the human ear can't, just isn't able to pick out any specific detail. Mm-hmm. Um, with white smells... Uh, it's exactly the same. So it's just a variety of different types of smell, all in one place. All so you battering c- your nose until your nose shuts down and goes, Egh. So you can't really... You smell it, but you can't really figure out what you're smelling. Yeah. Because it's so many different things. Like, white noise is really a load of different noises. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Here's the thing, though, right? White light... Uh, well, white, uh, white light, obviously, is all the different colors of light all rolled into one. Yeah. Right? White noise is basically all the frequencies rolled into oh, one. Oh, I see. White smells is all of those. Is there such a thing as white taste? And if so, is there such a thing as white touch? Because <laughs> that would be freaky as hell. White, t- what, all the different types of texture and temperature all in one thing? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure. That would be interesting. It, it would be scary. Yes. Uh, it's all squid. No, it's all... It's all no, uh, uh, White taste. You take a paella, but you include every ingredient in the known universe. It'll still taste like chicken. Yeah, that's the problem with meat. It's a problem with everything. Hmm. So even, no- this, even this desk probably tastes like chicken. So now, if you can find these researchers, uh, then you'll be able to experience... In smell-o-vision. Yeah. Uh, thank I'm you not for sure me why there, you uh, thank, Thanks for that, Paul. Uh, TGS fan Paul said uh, C60 atoms equals the ball. Uh, oh, there we go. Thank you. I'm pretty. I could have sworn it was called the Buckminster, Buckminster Fullery and Crystal. It, it's probably uh, Paul's probably right though because I haven't had a chance to check. I'm, I'm amazed. Go you with Paul. S- He's probably right. I'm amazed you could say sort of a series of words that long and then go, but I haven't checked. So it's like what you didn't pull this out of nowhere. This is CSI. I watched a Horizon program about it years ago. Ah, okay, okay, that makes some sense. I trust them. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're more trustworthy than CSI. That's fine. Yes, I know. <laughs> Oh I've watched Mythbusters. I know the truth about CSI. Speaking of myths, do you know Inspector Gadget, the f- the film, I mean, yeah. with the, the head helicopter? Yeah. Should we try and get one step closer to that with the brain-controlled helicopter in oh, our yes, the fifth brain-contro- news article? Yes, this is a robot revolution bit, mm-hmm. right? Um, but this one's quite unnerving as well. A fella called... What is his name? Where's his name gone? His name's the speed of Johnny the Fandango, the Russian scientist, uh, son no, of the prestigious <laughs> Jemima Fandango, inventor of the dance. Right. Um, there's a company called Puzzlebox, which is uh, which basically makes a range of microcopters um, that they uh, that they sell, and they're keen to promote education around mind control devices. So they have developed a brain controlled helicopter. Uh, it's currently on Kickstarter, and it's hoping to ma- move from classrooms into homes with the funds it gets from that. Now, Will anything not be Kickstarted? Seriously? Yes, I know. Here's the, this is where a lack of science funding has left us. Here's the problem I have with this, right? Um, it's, uh, it uses a, a system called NeuroSky MindWave Mobile EEG 
to record brainwave data, which is then sent to the software on either a tablet or smartphone or in a specifically designed pyramid-shaped base. Software converts the brainwave data to flight commands which control the flight of the spherical helicopter called Orbit. Uh, the tablet smartphone version of the command's signals are issued via an infrared dongle connected to the audio port, while the pyramid version features high-powered infrared emitters. Now, here's the problem, right? We know you can attach mini cameras to these things. We know that Microsoft is working on its own version of Google Glass, mm-hmm. right? Now, we, uh, I am just – I hope this does not take off. Can, pardon the pun again, <laughs> because you can just, especially in like certain countries, we won't name any names. Japan, um, <laughs> this you worried about will, the perf problem again? Yeah, this will be very bad. <laughs> uh, I see. So, you, oh yeah, you Google Glass, you can zoom in, you can take photos, you can do screenshots. Yeah, yeah, I can see why this would be a worrisome concept. Don't worry, in Japan they don't even like real women. They like their robot women or screen women or. Straws inside of things that can mimic kissing. I don't think. Oh, I, the kissing pigs! No, that was uh, think, some Indian fellow, wasn't it? No, no, the, 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 the kissing booth thing. <laughs> the, the one that just basically has a straw and you stick it in your mouth and you make out with it, and then it makes out with the same effect on the straw on the other end. I think this would be okay in Japan. I think they've given up on actual women a long time ago. Mm, we'll see. Right, <laughs> moving on. Another robot piece of robot revolution news. A human rights group, uh, basically Human Rights Watch and the International Human Rights Clinic, have delved into uh, sub- subject matter that's usually reserved for apocalyptic dystopian fiction, uh, like The Matrix and Terminator. They've produced a 50-page report called Losing Humanity, The Case Against Killer Robots, for, <laughs> and they want, hum- uh, they want the UN to ban killer robots wait 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 are they possibly trying to suggest that killer robots are a bad thing yeah well here's the thing they're calling for world governments to place a preemptive prohibition try saying that three times fast uh on placing the... a preemptive prohibition ah no <laughs> prohibition what the hell is that i don't know uh placing a preemptive prohibition on the development and use of full fully autonomous weapons mm. Uh, the report outlines the case against autonomous weapons that would lack the human qualities required for current legal and non-legal checks on the killing of civilians. Oh, so they couldn't be tried in court is the problem, because they're yes. robots. Yes, it's got nothing to do with killing people. It's a fact that they can't be held to account for it. So the problem is that they can't be sued. Oh, for... Ah, bloody bug nuts sake. Yeah, here's the thing. Right. Uh, this is an American story, right? Just to check. Yes. Okay, it, I was going to say, because with the level of, like, but they need to be able to be lawsuited, it seemed quite American. So. Well, here's the thing, right. Um, no offense. With the, with the drone strike, you know, they've got the drones and everything like that now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and they're working on having these things being able to operate by themselves. I disagree with stuff like that. I think there should always be a human interaction when it comes to especially weaponized robots. Mm. Mm. Um, I still think there needs to be that human interaction because I've seen, I've seen the Terminator. I know the truth. <laughs> oh, my God. You can't imagine how scarring that movie is when you're a kid who likes sci-fi. Uh, yes. <laughs> that does explain a lot about you, Rob. Quite the, a bit. The paranoia about uh, the robot revolution mm-hmm. is fully justified. Well, I, I have I have two thoughts on this thing. Well, one is that, you know, 
AI is a very dangerous field to go into, especially yes. considering the limitations of it. Because computer, in general, computers are stupid. That's that's the thing we have to accept is that they are capable of whatever we can program them to do. Uh, and therefore, if we can't program them to be able to completely feel human emotions, then they're not going to, and it will be very difficult to do so in the first place. But AI is inevitable, in my opinion. It's a, you know we're going to constantly develop and get somewhere. This kind of limitation may impede proper research. Second thing is, I worry that this may get a bit too Mulan in that someone will then go, by building that wall, he challenged my strength. And Be to... man. <laughs> that song is scientifically proven to make people join in. You know this. Dear researchers with excess funding, one, how the hell do you exist? Two... Do some research on that. See if that song See will songs. force people. Yeah. No, I think they should do the Die Hard research. I think they should research whether Die Hard is the only movie where you decide you're going to watch five minutes and end up watching the entire movie. And it doesn't matter how many times you've watched it before. It doesn't even matter if you watched it the day before or even an hour before. You will still sit down and watch all of Die Hard. I've done that for Adventure Time episodes, uh, the Gotcha episode particularly. I've not done that for Die Hard. I've not been massively... In- well, actually, I've not tried. I've not started watching five minutes. So Exactly. Further research is required. Yes. <laughs> uh, and finally, we come to... Uh, oh, no, we don't. Sorry, oh, no, there's two I, more. Yes, two uh, more. there is two more. Uh, we're out of the Robot Revolution now, and we're uh, into... Project Overkill. Mm-hmm. Yes, the US Army want to create Halo-style EMP grenades. Which I don't even think is overkill. I think it's a great idea. Not only would it neutralize our problem with the robots killing machines, who will probably be made and will be illegal, but, you know, EMP grenades, that, that's a fantastic idea, I think. You know, I don't think it's a good idea. Why not? Because anything that the US military gets eventually ends up on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Eventually... Use it- my Wi-Fi or I'm going to make sure your laptop fries. <laughs> So wait, so we worry that at first it's going to be anti It's, it's going to be, be gangs of ISPs roaming the streets, threatening people to use their internet connection. What? I don't know. It's some kind of dystopian future that I just dreamed of last night. You have <laughs> lame dystopian futures, man. I've got to tell you. <laughs> you give us your Wi-Fi. There's a Starbucks around the corner. No, I do not want to pay those prices for one coffee for two hours. Lob an EMP grenade into a Starbucks. See how many people die just because their laptop has... <laughs> Suddenly, businessmen in panic. Yes, there's people throwing themselves out of buildings, which is a shame because Starbucks is usually on the ground floor. <laughs> I think it would probably trickle down eventually and just end up like a household item. You'd use it on your sister because she's blogging about you or something. It would happen inevitably, but then we can keep throwing these at Michael Bay. We can stick it in his in his briefcase, stick it in his work suits, throw it at him all the time. He'll never be able to make another Transformers film because no computers will ever be able to work with him. Now, I don't think we should just have him emitting EMP pulses. Could we do that? Could we, <laughs> if he has like a culinary bypass, have like, oh, have a pacemaker that is also an EMP. That would be a problem, yes. No, no, no. If you can I make reckon a, what we should make do. Like a clockwork pacemaker better, and an EMP. Better. We should attach an automatic taser so whenever he mentions the word Transformers, he gets a shock. <laughs> it's called aversion therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Stop messing with it. Again, if you have a research grant, which you're not using for some reason, do see if you can hire Michael Bay and see if aversion therapy can work with filmmaking. <laughs> and finally, we move on to the actual WTF, WTF of this show, the yes. WTF Award, the caviar vending machine for tycoons on the go. Yes. I. This is... It's ridiculous. Basically, because 
rich people like caviar, and because they're obviously having busy lives, this machine dispenses three hundred pound, three hundred pounds, three hundred pounds. Let me just say that again: three hundred pounds per ounce caviar. Three hundred pounds per ounce. Um, could you put that into like grams? I'm in imper- I'm metric. <laughs> Sorry. Conversion tables. <laughs> Oh, no, he's Googling it. No, no, it's cool. That's... Hang on. Give me... Uh, ounce. Compare it to something. A, like I an know. orange. Compare it to like an orange, a plate of food, uh, a head, a human head. Right. One ounce is about 28 grams. Jesus, that's expensive. Yeah. 300 pounds for 28 grams of caviar. <laughs> uh, along with mother of pearl spoons and all the other paraphernalia required for the proper... Apply. Enjoyment of this delicacy. Apply it's now, just you even get a pop surgeon's eggs. God, that is. Is it refrigerated? Yeah. Do you? Otherwise, it will go off pretty quick. Uh, I was trying to imagine like how how you keep that posh. It's a vending machine. Vending machines aren't posh. Is there like one butler inside who's paid a cut of all this, who then grabs your selection from the different caviars and hands it to you in his gloved hand on a dish <laughs> for you to take away? Well, no, it's uh, they call it the ATMs for caviar. Um, Whereabouts is this in the, in the world? Is this Where, which country? They've shown up at a trio of upscale malls in Los Angeles. <laughs> malls? Not, yeah, not in Japan as we thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, first time I saw this headline, I thought that only in Japan. And then I read it and I thought, you are. No, no <laughs> if, if it was in Japan, then you would get the caviar. You would get the thing to eat it with, and then you'd be given a napkin, which is a pair of used panties. Yes, <laughs> striped. <laughs> For those who don't know, this is Japan. That happens. That is actually a meme when you talk about Japan. Well, actually, it's an interesting system. I, a friend of mine saw a documentary and was talking to me about it. Apparently, this is the thing that panty dealers come over to certain schools at some points and ask girls if they can just give them the panties for a price to put in vending machines. And they'll like give the girls panties to use, and they will either wear them over their own or just as is. And then he takes them away and puts them in vending machines. He pays the girls for it, and it's like... This is a this is There's creepy some, as hell, but no, it's a very the, the, easy way that, to make some money. That's not what's creepy. What's creepy is the fact that we're talking about caviar and now we're talking about panties. <laughs> In a rich man's world, I suppose this is what mainly concerns your life. Uh, what eating? Not um, eating, eating panties. <laughs> eating caviar. I was going to say and mopping it. Where are we go? Where are we going with this? Let's just stop and take a break. <laughs> New, uh, right? We're going to take a break while we gather our thoughts. Yes. Which we've left all over the floor. Uh, actually, very quick, Harry, what is Thought Bubble? Okay, what is Thought Bubble? Thought Bubble is the the Thought Bubble International Comics Arts Festival that's held in Leeds. Why did Leeds get cultural capital all those ages ago? Because it has a massive week-long festival of comic arts and films, and like indie films. Uh, but I was only one man, and I was the only one who went, so we just focused on the comics. One man, on a mission, to read loads of stuff. And it, it, it's, it's brilliant. There's like... It, to the, travel to Leeds and make it back alive. <laughs> the weekend, basically, the, just the, the, end, the weekend is the end of the whole week-long thing. At the beginning of it, there's like a five-day thing of loads of panels being done. People we know actually do them. Matt Dyson did a panel. Which, All right, cool. Yeah, he got kids drawing. It's just something he does. He loves doing that because his art style is also cute. Were uh, they drawing on him? <laughs> See, that, that, that would have been a great panel drawing Matt Dyson. <laughs> 
that we should would, suggest it to him next that, time. That would be quite fun. He is cuddly. Yeah, sure. We should be like, oh, get some dungarees on and then do that. Do you know? Yeah. That, do you remember the old like the bears that you you yes. drew on and then washed them? Yeah, get some like dungarees and get people to draw That's all over. That's basically them. what I was thinking. But then you know, auction dungarees for charity. Matt, I know you're in India right now, but if you somehow manage to hear this, <laughs> he travels a lot. I know. Uh, okay, then at the weekend, what happens is people go into the Royal Armories and the Bury Theatre. And set up shop. It's it's the Berry Theatre. The Berry Theatre. Sorry. Well, no, it's B U R Y. It's pronounced Berry. It's like Derby and Derby again. Yeah. Look, it's, if it's pronounced Derby, not Derby. But if there is an E in it, it's Derby to me. Okay, it's not my fault. We're that, talking old English. It's not these my towns, fault. These towns. The were, person that these, founded your town was dyslexic. Were, these things were named before you were born, Harry. Do not fret about it. <laughs> Why would vowels change after I was born? Why? This is... Uh. <laughs> anyway. I said Strupwaffel correctly. Deal with it. Anyway. I, I yes, think it's anyway. It's at uh, the Royal Armouries. It's the Royal Armouries Museum. It's in two different uh, buildings of the Royal yeah. Armouries. Uh, it, it's huge. There's so much stuff. And it's not like Expo huge, but it's really big. Yeah. Uh, um, oh God! And British Comic Awards were there. This year, yeah, yeah. They? There's like the whole week of panels. Then there's the two days of selling, and the British Comic Awards happen on the Saturday evening. They give, and this is like the big British Comic Awards related thing. Yeah. So you know, this is like the place to go. There are five different Comic Awards that are given out: Best Comic, Best Book, Emerging Talent, Hall of Fame, and the Young People's Award, formerly called the Graphic Novel Award. Uh, the Hall of Fame this year, for those who are interested, because people might not know of the other four, but the Hall of Fame uh, this year was won by Raymond Briggs. So he's the Hall of Fame Comics Award. Okay, uh, cool. Hi, I'm Dan Thompson from the Moon Comic. My name is Becky Krill. I'm Dave Gibbons. Hi, I'm Eric Oldberg from Disney Animation. Hi, I'm Ken Wong from Spicy Horse Studios. Hi, I'm Paul Miley from the MCMS for Greek. Hi, I'm Phil Coe. I'm a level designer at Valve. Brina Palencia. Hello there, I'm Simon Tayfield. My name is Tab Kimpton. This is Ciel Phantom Hive. Hi, this is Zeb Brannigan. You're listening to The Geek Show on 104.5 CVFM. Right, that's enough showing off from us. Back to we, Thought Bubble. Yes, we need to really <laughs> update that because we've got so many more now. I made a new one. I don't know if it's on the system, though. Uh, we'll have to check after this, but I made one for our more recent MCM Expo, which was fantastic. Uh, that's the October one, which is downloadable from our website, the should have UK. Plug! Uh, but now that we are back, we are talking about Thought Bubble and what it is exactly. Thought Bubble is different to the other conventions we've done. Uh, in that we've been to a lot of anime things, and we've been to London Expo, we've done a bit of Eurogamer with Momo, uh, but I realised that we haven't done any comics-exclusive, like really specifically comics conventions, so I applied for this, and the people were lovely. As I say, the staff at Thought Bubble are all fantastic, lovely people. Uh, and they, they don't actually have, like, bouncers on the doors. They have volunteers, the hotshots, who are a roller derby team, and they're all amazing. They're these... I, just, I started talking to one of the girls once and uh, was saying, why on earth is there a roller derby team on door duty? And she was saying, it's actually quite easy. Number one, look at the shin pads, the tattoos, and the punk hair. Would you mess with this? And I said, no. And she said, number two, I'm wearing rollerblades. Could you outrun me? And I'm like, also no, a brilliant point. I would not mess with anyone who does, roll, uh, who does uh, rollerball. Or roller derby. <laughs> Rollerball's a bit different. No, rollerball and roller derby aren't that different. Trust me. That's, uh, that's quite One terrifying. involves a ball, mm-hmm. the other one involves just racing around. Both of them involve lots of kind of physical contact. Oh, God, yeah. It's hardcore. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing. Back when I was a kid, Bitmap Brothers came out with an amazing game called Speedball 2. 
Oh dear. Yes. And it got me interested in Rollerball. And then I actually watched Rollerball and thought, oh my God, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I ended up playing roller hockey, which is just as bad. But that was years later when I was an adult and felt it and I was already playing rugby, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> so yeah, comics and sports. Who knew? They hang out. Uh, and yeah, I talked to a lot of the girls as well. The hotshots weren't just there yeah, looking cool. They also were comic who, lovers. Comics hang out with people who wear their underpants on the outside as well. <laughs> oh, Superman. You don't and look Batman. You don't look better without that. You really don't. Uh, oh, yeah, because they got rid of it. Now he's just... Yeah. Done. There was a while where basically they made it metallic pants. Yeah, now were... he's just like Linford Christie, isn't he? Yeah, he just... It would work better yeah. if he was in like jeans... But instead, it's all one thing, and like with the reboot... Spandex, one piece. Yeah, like with the Amazing Spider-Man, it was just like, everything's pointing towards his crotch. <laughs> the logos point towards the crotch. Why? Uh, Superman st- does as well, because the, the point points down. <laughs> I know! It's creepy as hell, and it's like, look, you can do one of two things if you're wearing like a spandex onesie. You can either smooth it over... Which isn't good. Everybody loves They're, Action Man. <laughs> yeah. Smoothing over just kind of looks like, eh, what's happened to his genitals? Uh, or you can <laughs> or you can pad it, which <laughs> looks worse, so much worse, and gives you a 16 plus rating. <laughs> but away from that, and back to the thought bubble. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let us, be, let us be enveloped in our own bubble. Oh, dear. Thought Bubble was fantastic. It really was. And there's some major differences I found to anime conventions and gaming conventions and uh, London Expo. Is that Thought Bubble, being specifically comics, doesn't actually have a massive tie to the internet. Which sounds like a weird thing to say, but it's, it's like whenever we go to anime places, there are comic artists and anime and uh, manga artists who have webcomics online and then also publish them, like Tab Kimpton, like uh, Angel Cat Productions, Davy Shirley with a comic Ferrer, you know, they did all people like that. But at Thought Bubble I met a lot of people who published and weren't online and it was just that weird moment of going oh yeah, that happens for people who aren't like Marvel. I completely forgot about this. It, it, was, a, it was a strange thing and so there's like, there's comics I bought which I've, I've just laid out in front of you and kind of specified which ones are which. Yes. Uh, yeah, you're not getting them back. Um. What? No, <laughs> I love some of these things. They're really well written. It's like I know. Uh, I was kidding, Harry. <laughs> Arthur and Posey, I bought there, which is entirely like published. It's not online. Uh, Shrapnel, which is a fantastic thing by Holly Rose. It's a really good superhero comic. It's it's one of those. I'm liking co- the artwork for it. Uh, the artwork on inside is different. I actually prefer the inside artwork. No, but uh, I'll tell you what. That one porcelain. Oh, porcelain. It's so good. That one's by Improper Books. We have an interview with the artist and uh, the writer later in the program. It is so pretty. If you guys if you guys aren't doing a thing like WoW right now, like if, if we're not in the background or something, if you go to Improper Books, I think it's .com or .co.uk, I can't really check right now, uh, and there's a six-page sample of porcelain. I got a 12-page sample while at Thought Bubble. It is pretty. It is so well drawn. Uh, look forward to that interview. What was I saying? Oh, yes. Because it's specific about comics, it's, they can theme it a lot better. Yeah. And so not only do you get people who are just publishing, uh, for example, Dumpy Little Robot, who we have an interview with coming up in this section, uh, who published their book, Imaginary Gumbo, two mini-show stories about it, 
just there at that at that very convention. They they published it and put it out there, and they sold them all, which I was massively impressed with. Uh, and you know, it's not online to read. It's not all over the place in its entirety, and it's really really good. And it's like. Yeah, some people do just go to convention circuits and sell things there. Twisted Duck, uh, Tea Publications, who we have an interview with later on, actually have a sign outside their booth saying how many books they've sold. Just to kind of, I'm not sure if it's to show off, which would work if it was to show off, or if it's just a kind of self-affirmation thing of going, yes, this totally works. Uh, and they sell, they sell hundreds. They literally sell hundreds at every convention they go to. And it's, it's massively impressive. Uh, they've done things in America as well and sold loads. It was stunning. Awesome. Did you just flick through the entirety of Shrapnel? Yeah. Okay, that's Shrapnel by Holly Rose. What's your brief review? My brief review? I like it. It's a little bit Batman, though. Um, <laughs> but I like it. I like that. I like that she isn't like... Uh, that's... I, li- I like the role reversal in it. I l- sorry, the gender reversal in it. Mm. I'm not gonna, uh, that's, not, uh, that's not a giveaway, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is intriguing me is in the back, mm. they have uh, Orangutan Comics uh, have... One called Alpha Gods, and I'll tell you what. Oh yeah, doesn't the, that look fantastic? The cover photo for Alpha Gods is quite stunning. Uh, Orangutan appear to. Uh, it's a separate thing. Orang space Utan comics. They appear to have a lot of uh, indie or new people having publishing through <coughs> them. I've got a few actually in there. That I'm pretty sure Orangutan. I'll have to look later. Uh, but yes, yeah, so you get people like that. People who've gone. I've made a thing. Publish. And they don't go online. And that you don't actually get at things like anime conventions and at Expo. Yeah. It it's all has to be, like I say, internet tied. Uh, so instead you get things like Dumpy Little Robot. Now, Dumpy Little Robot, uh, they had prints of Imaginary Gumbo. They had the first two miniseries comics. They have two more on the way. Uh, they are comprised of Abby Ryder, who's a fantastic uh, artist who makes adorable things. She also worked with, uh, ro- with um, the artist of Roller Girls in order to make... The mini version with like cute little roller girls, which is adorable. Uh, and it's, she also works together with her lovely partner, Demon Tomato Dave, uh, who is also, oh, what's his actual name? Dave, hang on, I wrote it down because I keep forgetting because I keep calling him Demon Tomato Dave. Dave Bulmer. Dave Bulmer, there we go, thank you. Dave Bulmer, also goes Demon Tomato Dave from off of YouTube, who yes. does like a rental floss thing. He takes a video game and fun old soundtracks and puts lyrics to them. But unlike Brendel Floss, the thing which I love about him is he does it all a cappella style. Uh, Everything yes. you hear that he does, he is singing, which is massively impressive. Uh, I think we're going to go into well, an interview with them. Well, we... we've, got, we've got his song first, if you want. Oh, we can do the interview first. I think interview, then song. Yeah, yeah. We're going to, do an, we're going to play you our interview with them, and you can, you can see what it's like for people who have just published but not uh, gotten online. They intend to make a webcomic eventually, and I will link up because Combo is hilarious and cute. Yeah. And then we will have the, the song that he mentions in the interview, the theme from The Dark World. Uh, this is the Geek Show interview with Abby Ryder and Dave Bulmer, a.k.a. Demon Tomato Dave. Hello, Hello how are you both? All right, you? Uh, good, good. Uh, and you're, you're both part of uh, Dumpy Little Robot. And you make And you make the comic Imaginary Gumbo, which is adorable and hilarious and brilliant, and I love it very much. Oh, thank you very much. How would you describe Imaginary Gumbo to people? All right, well, I would describe it firstly as brand new, because we launched it here yesterday, Ooh. and uh, secondly as fairly successful, because we've had an all right weekend. But thirdly, <laughs> but thirdly, it is about uh, a little eight-year-old girl called Charlie who has accidentally become Lord and Master of a gigantic warrior knight called Gumbo. And the deal is that she gets to pick where they go, and he has to protect her from whatever's there. And there's usually monsters. <laughs> oh, yes. So yes, ranging from guinea pigs to 
a man with such a brilliant idea that his head became a light bulb. Correct. He had a bright idea that was too much for the human mind to handle, and so his head just pinged into a light bulb. Uh, I love that he has separate bulbs as well for different purposes. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah we've, we've introduced the storytelling bulb in this comic. I, I don't know if we've... We don't yet have a, a lineup of other bulbs for the future, but I, I rest assured one. there'll be some. Oh, do you? <laughs> He's got an angry bulb. Oh, oh no. Angry bulb. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh, and you also have a YouTube thing. Yes, I do. Demon Tomato Dave. Yes. I've, I've found out just in the last two days that anyone in the world has heard of that. Um, we, uh, I mean, I've got, I mean, getting... I did a video with Brental Floss recently, and that got a lot of hits my way. Uh, I, I don't mean hits, I mean um, subscribers. But... Um, when you don't hear from them so much you sort of think oh great loads of people have subscribed to me and then maybe my videos will get lost in their feed or whatever but I've been meeting people who are saying they know exactly who I am and it's very exciting so um, yes so I do songs based on silly things nerdy things old games um, I, well, I do, what I do is I take tunes that I like from old computer games and I write words to them and I sing those words well that's what I do sometimes a lot of the time in fact my, all my most popular songs are the ones where I haven't written words to them I've just sung the words that developed when I was a teenager and would sing along as I played games um, and uh, I've actually I've got one of those coming out very soon Banjo's Got a Wibbly Head that one's called and uh, that's set to be the new sensation and uh, <laughs> uh, Style, I'm sure. It'll be. It'll yes. It's the new Gangnam style. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. But but I put lots of effort into some of my songs, and and sometimes some people actually watch those ones, but they like the ones where I just say silly things. <laughs> um, the theme from the Dark World is my most popular one, uh, in which the tune originally goes and I went the theme from the Dark World, and that's it. And that's 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 my most watched video. People really like that. So. I don't know why I bother sometimes. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't bother with the clever ones. <laughs> so, how did you guys meet each other? How did the whole project come together with Imaginary Gumbo? Well, we <laughs> met each other and we've been a couple since we were 16. Woo! Well, no, we met when we were 15. We've been a couple since we were 16. We're now 30. We're old now. And uh, we've... Uh, and we got the idea for making this comic. Just, well, because we always have, not we? Like, that was... When we were 15, we were making comics together. And um, and we still are. Only this time we brought them out. <laughs> we can bear for anyone else to see them this time. It's been a long time starting things, restarting things. Yeah. Um, hating those again and doing something different. Yeah. And Gumbo, I think, started a few years ago. Yeah. Um, we were just on holiday and we just liked the idea of... Initially it was going to be like a cute, very pretty little girl in dresses with a big like night guy oh that's right we were going to contrast the night was going to be really really dark and extreme yes and then she was going to be really really pretty and the opposite (laughs) of that and then I'm actually much happier with what Gumbo is now I mean um, well what we had what we gave to them was a it wasn't I would say it doesn't now resemble the Gumbo we've got now it was was part of that early idea of like the the big evil looking and actually evil I think in those days night and and the the cute little girl but um so we went away and we thought, well, oh, that's the end of that then. We won't do that. And then we realised, well, rather than be tied into three to four pages, what if we, what if we made it like a big, grand story? And uh, so Abby mentioned before that we were on holiday at this point. That's because we used to have long walks on the beach. And uh, what we would do on these long walks on the beach was just hammer through plot. Like, hey, what if this? And then, and then 
with any walk we went on, we would always come home with a new direction for the whole story. And um, none of it is reflected here because that's not what this is. These are small standalone stories. <laughs> well, the, the plan is eventually to have a, an ongoing webcomic. Yeah, right. um, but we're we just to, we're hoping to drum up some interest with. Yeah, these. we wanted to get people interested in the characters first, and I think after this weekend, I'm yeah. mission successful. <laughs> yeah, it seems to have worked. We've got all sorts of people coming to because now it's the second day of the con, and we've got people coming back to the table and saying that they read it overnight, yourself included, mm-hmm. and uh, and the things they're saying they liked are precisely what we want people to like about the comic, you know? They, pe- people are saying what we thought <laughs> when we had the idea. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it's been brilliant talking to both of you. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the theme from the dark world. The theme from the dark world. The theme from the dark world. The theme from the dark world, the dark place, the theme from the dark world, the dark place, 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 it is dark, like a scary thing, like a teenager from Deviantart. It is dark, it writes poetry, and it wears off its heroine. The theme from the dark world. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of uh, Demon Tomato Dave. Subscribe to him on YouTube. Uh, I would have played his most recent one, which is actually something a collaboration with Brentel Floss. Uh, yeah, who's the the guy who does the the big guy who does the uh, the relyricked things of video game sounds. So what's Bre- he called? But Brentel Brentel Floss. Rental floss. Yeah. Not rental floss, because that would be just be wrong. <laughs> floss to rent. No, you wouldn't return it. Uh, but Brent is a, a little bit akin to swearing when it talks about Super Mario World. Yeah. So, But yeah, check that out. It's, it's called uh, What If Super Mario World Had Lyrics, and it's, it's very good. And again, it's a cappella, and I, I really enjoyed that song too. Okay, tell yes. us about this future of comics then. Okay, well, one of the panels I attended was called Comics 2.0, for which they had all of the guests... Pretty much. There was like six of them, uh, including uh, the, the great Paul Duffield, uh, who is the, the artist of Freak Angels and his current project, The, the Firelight Isle, uh, and Kate Beaton, who I've got the, the Harker Vagrant book of now with the, with the tiny fat Napoleon. Uh, she's known for Harker Vagrant, which is uh, her, her comic online, which parodies and just has a lot of fun with history and literature. There's some great bits in there, like uh, the different Watsons, having to be curated for by Holmes and uh, the Bronto sisters hitting on people. 
which is just so stupidly funny. Um, and they were all there, and they were talking about the evolution of comics and how it changes, and like uh, comics online versus comics in shops and comics written and hand drawn compared to like drawn on tablets and produced mm. on online things. And it was a really fascinating panel because these are actually the people who are at the pinnacle of this happening. Like, there's like one of them uh, does a lot. Was working with a lot of programming people in order to create a new type of interface that would automatically change your comics, not only size on different devices like handhelds and different screen sizes, but would actually crop the comic uh, depending on the size of it so that the bottom would be removed and speech bubbles would rearrange in order to completely shrink seamlessly the comic into different sizes. So it could actually shrink down to just panel by panel. Yeah. In addition to that, because the uh, speech bubbles could be coded uh, in order to like be in certain places, he was saying that you could click them in order for it to be read to you, and that would actually have a seamless bar- language barrier integration because you'd be able to have, like, this speech bubble contains this text, and you change language, and it changes text. You could also click it and get a different language back. Uh, and so it was interesting. They talked talk, talk about comics for the deaf, which is a complete... Oh, the Kapow is that system, by the way. Uh, Kapow with a C, if you want to look it up. Uh, yeah. C-A-P-O-W. Uh, and then he started talking about comics for the deaf, which is completely bamboozling to me, but it, sure, if it can work, I'll more than more power to it. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a great, interesting panel. And they're actually available online. Uh, I will link it up when this episode goes out, but the guy who was holding the panels kept saying that they would go on his website, which is a podcast program, it's being recorded. I don't know if it's video or audio, but then you can hear all about it there. So Thought Bubble, you can actually attend certain bits of it afterwards, which is fantastic. Uh, and so, yeah, it was it was really interesting mm. Excuse me, to hear about uh, comics developing and changing for the purposes of use of the internet. Because, you know, webcomics are a thing now, and people would have to resize, keep having to resize websites for stuff. One of the interesting points that got brought up is that a comic that is published online in a webcomic format that is a page size has something wrong with it by default, which is that if it's the size of a page, you have to scroll down to get it all. Yeah. Which, which is true, because screens are horizontal, whereas, you know, a regular AFL page is a vertical. And See, so, I'm oh, sorry, think, other way around. Does that then mean that if you're going to do, gone, if comics are going to be published somewhere online, they have to change the entire layout of it then? Not exactly, but he was saying that basically you should be aware of what you're doing online and make sure that you mm. reflect... Uh, what your medium is. And so not only was did that come into like the, the Kapow resizing process, but it's also saying, you know, it, this is why the strip ones, the vertical strip comics, sorry, the, the horizon strip comics work well. It's because you can see them right as soon as your page loads. Mm. You don't need to scroll at all. It's things like, you know, uh, Two Gag, Two Guys and Guy, uh, Hulk of Vagrant itself, which has like three or four panels, but they're all vertical, horizontal. God damn it. That one, that's horizontal, right? Okay. All horizontal like that. Yeah. And so that has an advantage that you don't have to scroll, and so it seems more seamless, and it makes more sense to have a website for it. Yeah. And so it was an interesting panel talking about that. Do you know what surprised me? Um, the rise of four-panel comics on the internet. All right. You know, um, well, as opposed to three-panel format, because I know there's a big like no, you debate know, between those. Yeah, there's three-panel, four-panel... But the little gag comics that you get, uh, mm-hmm. they're usually three or four panel. Four panel is kind of a general rule. Mm-hmm. Um, see, the weird thing is I'm familiar with them, but then again, I re- I've read manga for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been doing four panel comics for ages. And they've been in, like, four panel comics have been in newspapers for decades. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. But seeing them online, it's really weird how people 
don't automatically make the connection between newspaper comics and then the stuff to see online. Yeah, true, there isn't any of that. And which would be strange, especially with Kate Beaton's work, where yeah. I think she started out as the university newspaper. Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, yeah, example. Calvin and Hobbes, definitely. Andy Cap. Um, people, you know. people don't really appreciate the roots very much these days. Uh, EGS, El Gunishayev, actually started out as four panels. Yeah not actual pages because he was doing it in the newspaper. Yeah. And then he became like a page format. Yeah. Uh, Dan Shive. And again, no one really notices. This is the thing. It's interesting. And then the second part of this was something else I got mystified by about that day was that I talked to the guys from Improper Books who make uh, Porcelain, the Gothic fairy tale, which is gorgeous and you can see pages of online. Look at it. It's so goddamn pretty. Chris Wildgoose is amazing at art. And oh, one of their projects is actually... It's you read it from an app, so it goes onto your computer things, and basically it's been written and coded. It's not out yet, but it's coming up. But there was an example of it at the stand. It's written and coded such that the comic will di- read differently on every reread, such that like different emphasis on different characters, mm. and like certain panels won't be there, and certain panels will be there instead, and certain panels will be darkened, and like you focus on one thing more than another, and you actually create permutations for like twelve different endings. And a total of, I think it was 96 different ways to read the same story. Oh, my God. I know. And it was fast. No, that's not why I'm saying, oh, my God. Hmm? I'm saying, oh, my God, because it's basically a comic version of Choose Your Own Adventure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> does, it have a, does it have a, four, a uh, page 14? <laughs> Go to 14. You are dead. It was like the Andrew, uh, was the Andrew Jackson books or wherever there were, uh, you know, something quest, monster quest, treasure quest books. Whatever. It was always when you made, made, you know, chose the wrong option, it says go to 14. And after a while, <laughs> you know, after like, play, after like playing the books for a, a couple of times, you suddenly realized what 14 was. And as soon as you saw go to 14, you're like, no, back, back, back. Where did I go wrong? <laughs> it's like the go to jail thing in Monopoly. It's like, no, I don't want to go to 14. It's all the bad stuff. No, but the I advantage is good boy. it's a book. So you can go back. You're not playing against anybody. <laughs> Yes, it's not like the Fallout 3 locked-in room at the very end. We have to buy broken steel to get out of it. God damn you, Bethesda. <laughs> uh, sorry, I still have a bit of a, a bit of a hump on about that. There's, there's rage Obsidian even from Harry. <laughs> Is it Bethesda or Obsidian? I never even know these days. Uh, Bethesda, uh, uh, who cares? Yeah, um, it, they, they switch it up too much. Okay, so future comics we were talking about. It's also an interesting thing I talked about with the Improper Books guys is that they really want porcelain as well as their other book, uh, Butterfly Gate, which is silent and they can be, can be read in any language. Mm-hmm. There's no speech bubbles. Uh, they were saying they really want to be in comic shops and they actually talk a lot with comic shops and make sure they give them like promo materials and they help each other out with promotion because they want the comic shops that they bought things from when they were young to live on, even though it's the digital era. And See, it was that in- would be awesome. It was interesting to hear, like, content creators wanting to support the sellers more, rather than the way around. Do, here's the thing, right? It's like the old thing with the old record store, mm. right? Um, they're both exactly the See, people always think, oh, the old record shop is not the same as the comic book store. It is. It's a place where people can go and congregate mm-hmm. and browse and, you know, so, uh, meet up with uh, other people who mm-hmm. they might know or the people who share their own interests. It's mm-hmm. like a mini convention. Your comic book store, just like your record shop, was a mini convention. Yeah, well laid out one. It was something that was there before conventions Mm -hmm. even existed in this country. Even the larger HMVs are still like that. I've been to a HMV in London that only had like big music sections. You could put your headphones on and listen to certain tracks. But you could go upstairs and there were consoles running the games you could buy. Right. Forbidden Planet in Middlesbrough. 
mm-hmm. right? How many times have you said to one of your mates, oh, I'll meet you in Forbidden Planet? Actually, quite a few. I go there with friends. Exactly. Get... Yeah. It's like a mini convention. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing. Comic books, I, I, I really think that Forbidden Planet should not be the only game in town when it comes to comic books in mm. Middlesbrough. Uh, they used to have one down in Forbes building called Books and Comics, which sadly went out of business years ago, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, the way the country is at the moment. Mm-hmm. Politics, always good. Um, That's why I like metagames, which is the place where you can get cards and play them, because they have, like, here are cards, here are tables. Yes. Mm. But this is the thing. Um, you... There has to be a way for small businesses like that to survive because they mm. form the lifeblood of the communities that mm. don't normally fit into normal society. Yeah. It's like the gig community never really normally fitted into the normal society until now mm. because we're taking over. In fact, we have taken over. And if you don't agree with us, we will not fix your printer. Um, <laughs> yeah, and if you just say that... Do not contact us for tech support. Yeah, and if you said that nerds aren't in charge right now, I'm sorry, have you looked at Joss Whedon's directing career recently and all the records he's broken? Thank you very much. Excuse me, Bill Gates? <laughs> Steve Jobs? <laughs> Should I go on? Uh, he's spinning in his grave. Because he, devoted a dyna- he created a dynamo where he could spin in his grave and remain forever clean and pristine. <laughs> the dynamo is made of only five different pieces and completely space-optimizing. Does the he dynamo use the is ma- to keep it all fresh? <laughs> It is powered merely by the good thoughts that he held in his head within his last days. They're repeated on a cycle. No, it no, emits no. rainbows if, if, and if, sugar if, and sunshine. If that, uh, was it uh, Taiwanese news is to be believed? It's powered by the force. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, right. Sorry, yes. Anyway, uh, so, comic art is supporting comic, uh, comic, uh, comic book shops. Yeah, I really wanted to talk about to the Improper Books guys because basically they have... With porcelain and with their work, they're trying to create a blend of being online and being digital, very digital, but also being in comic book shops. Being out in comic book shops first is one of the things they want to do, and then go into online as well, because, you know, digital distribution is where you, where you get yourself out there. They, they, and in the interview, even, they talk about the comic book shops they love and they want to work with. And good for them. I mean, like, I have, I have quite a few conversations on Twitter from the show account with uh, Jared of OK Comics, because... When they, when they tweet about it, they're like, Hi, we run a comic book shop. We also love comics. We, we know what we're doing. You come here if you want to talk to us about comics as well as buy them. Yes. And you can't do that with Amazon. No, you can't. Exactly. I think it's something, I think he says it in the interview, but it's a fantastic quote. I think it's Neil Gaiman, which is, uh, a li- uh, Google can give you 100 million answers. A library can give you the correct one. Yep. Which is genius. Which is one of the reasons why I trained as a librarian. <laughs> I've done to all know so. it all. Uh, you have, uh, we've talked about other jobs in the break. Good Lord. How, I keep forgetting how old you are. And so, how many jobs I've actually done. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, it's scary. I've, I've, had like I've, done, I've, done, uh, I've done as many jobs as my age. Let's put it that way. That's terrifying. Yeah, I know. Uh, right. We're going to take a, We're going to go into yeah, the interview with, with uh, Benjamin Reed and Chris Wildgoose. I'm not sure which is cooler: the fact that Chris Wildgoose has Wildgoose as a surname, or the fact that Benjamin Reed is the writer and his name is actually not spelt Reed R E E D, but Reed R E A D, like books. They're both fantastically named people, and they both know what they're doing, and they're brilliant. <laughs> See, that just goes Reed Wildgoose. Reed Wildgoose. Yes, that's <laughs> awesome. Right. Yes. Here we go. This is the Geek Show interview with uh, Chris Wildgoose and someone with a less amazing name, Ben. Let's go with... <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Is it Benjamin Reed? Was that it is indeed. Fantastic. I, my memory's working well today. Wild Goose. Sorry. He's, <laughs> he's distracted and quite tired. It's okay. I stayed up last night. One of the things I read was Porcelain, which uh, the first chapter of which you have been giving away free here at Thorpe. How's that going for you? Um, it, it's it, brilliantly. People, people like free comics, um, although they're initially quite suspicious. There's, uh, there's been a wonderful sort of interaction where someone will reluctantly take it and walk off and, and they'll flick it open and about four or five steps they'll stop and look at Chris's art and, and you still see this mummy reaction of oh well it looks quite good we had well, my, my favourite piece of feedback I think we've had so far was the guy who came back and went I thought it'd be <laughs> <laughs> glorious um, yeah absolutely Th- thank you sir I think it was that amazing juxtaposition when I first saw it kind of going free comic fantastic but it looks gorgeous. This is like one of those old yeah. posters. Um, it's arguably not a sustainable financial model, but uh, <laughs> much as I'd love it to be. No, it, it, the, the idea is to give um, 12 pages away, which is a really good taste of the story for mm. the graphic novel, which actually comes out in February. And it's heavily uh, weighted inside in terms of advertising, well, advertising to pre-orders from shops. It's about pushing orders to comic shops to basically you know, the, the people that we grew up buying from and, and that want to give something back to so um, rather than we're, we're not looking to do anything directly we're very much sort of uh, retail based so okay cool. uh, and people like page 45 from Nottingham and Travelling Man and their chain have been extremely supportive during our production process and have been interested in the project like sort of all the way through particularly Stephen from page 45 who's he's been a uh, almost a mentor through some of the process so it's nice to be able to go right and here's you should buy it off oh, great I mean it, it is a thing people forget these days with all the online retailers that some shop owners out there are really supportive of the industry that they're, well, that yeah, they're peddling yeah. Well, like, yeah they're the key aren't they they're the people who push it and they they get a lot from it as well and it's just yeah they're the people that you want to give yeah. it to and then get the support from because they're the people who talk to the customers face to face there's, um, there's a, a Neil Gaiman quote actually who said uh, I think Google will give you 10,000 answers and a librarian will give you the correct one and I'd, 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 trans- I'd transpose that quite happily to Amazon and, and, and booksellers and, and you know that, 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 that hat, the idea of just looking at something online or going into one of these shops and talking to people who know and love the medium and will find you what you need so Porcelain is that the first 12 pages of a, uh, a longer story I think it used to, it was, I think I heard it was a first of three books in um, six pages today. yeah it, it's, it's going to come in it, it'll be self-contained completely um, we, we may yet dabble back in the universe I, I'd be loath not to uh, uh, it comes in at 96 pages which was originally cut into three chapters for and, and is in the book they, they represent almost seasons there we, uh, we open in winter move to spring and summer and then and then end in the fall um, and each of those is it's all a traditional comic length chapter but it is very much a self-contained graphic novel okay brilliant uh, the first giving away the 12 pages I've realised also not only gives you a good feel for the art and the world it introduces the the main character the little girl who is brilliant she's fantastically written she's so thank you I, I, I just love how she's ingenuitive clever and a bit scrappy and it yeah. all just works so yeah, well with her uh, yeah, she's just well. She was everything. She 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 she, she arrived quite fully formed without sounding too arty, uh, and and you know has had her own voice throughout. It's just about I I I got a daughter um, who is similarly competitive. <laughs> uh, 
uh, chopsy, I think, is the, is the expression. Um, and uh, yeah, she, she's 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 kind of vibrant, I guess. Yeah. Nice. <coughs> cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, what was your inspiration for the art style of porcelain? Because it, it's I, I can't remember the name for the period, but it, it looks like an old poster type We're, thing. Right? Yeah, it's not actually fixed in a certain period. We've aimed for the Keynesian kind of period, but we've kind of given it its own kind of style. We've tried to mix loads of culture into it. Like, yeah, it was. It's all. It, it's neo Victorianate Dickensian. <laughs> But it's, it's yeah, but it's not it's 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 not not that I've got any issue with steampunk, but it, it's it's not steampunk. It's yeah. not any of that. It, it's just a, a convenient setting. The, the city itself, we've got more plans for, and it's the, the city of all cities, and many many fragments of culture collide there. But we're seeing a very Victorian mansion, but there's there's a lot more in the city as well. So, but that's for that's for, for, for later tales. Fantastic. Could you talk a bit about improper books? Because there's like five of you at this table, and I was bamboozled at first, but then I realised, oh, you're all part of a thing. Um, yeah, we are. We are indeed a thing. Uh, <laughs> nice to put. Um, so the, the 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 very root of it is um, me, Chris, and Laura met on a, a, a film we were making. Um, I've written for years, one way or another, including the film. Um, Chris is brilliant, Laura's brilliant, and we put our heads together to, to, to go ahead and make stuff. Um, that became slightly, we didn't, we, it, it was never really given a name for quite some time. It was called CLB for a bit, and we figured we need to get somebody else in with a vowel to make that, to make that practical. Um, so it, it, we, we sort of formalised it into, I, I, I guess, a studio, it would be the best way of putting it, or it, it, arts collective sounds a bit tossy. Um, but that is, is effectively what it is. Uh, where just purely to uh, attempt a professional level of putting out uh, our own work um, uh, to form, uh, formalise that arrangement where we come together to produce our own stuff under the label of Improper Books, which um, I've sort of had pencilled away for quite, for quite, quite some time as a, as, a, as a potentially useful domain name. Um, which, funnily enough, is actually a, it's, a Neil, it's a Neil Gaiman quote as well. Weirdly, um, I chanced. Uh, I think I saw a conversation on Twitter some years ago, which has sadly faded beyond Twitter's archive. Now I was trying to I was trying to do the archaeology on it, and uh, where in which uh, he was accused of not write, uh, the, of writing comics, not proper books, and he said he would, if that was the case, he'd be very happy to write improper books. Uh, to which I thought, I'm having that. <laughs> Fantastic! It's been great talking to you. Thank you both. No, thank you very much indeed. Oh yeah, thanks very much. Sorry. Smooth. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no. Yes, and you're back with us. And there was two Neil Gaiman quotes in there. I keep calling him Gaiman. I don't know how it is. I'm tempted to interview him just to ask how to pronounce his last name. I pronounce it Gaiman. I've because pr- I, pr- I refuse to call him Gaiman. Yeah, well, he would be an awesome. If anyone is to be the superhero Gaiman. I would have to nominate Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman himself because that would be pretty damn awesome. Uh, I found a brilliant ooh, ooh. website that had it, like it's been re- con- it's been confirmed he's writing another episode of Doctor Who for the new series. Awesome! Yes, found a website that had like horrible uh, the, the worst web names, uh, as in you know uh, Google.co.uk, oh uh, something.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so like yes. Pen so, Island. Yeah, Pen Island was one in Who Therapist Rep- Finder. Therapist Finder. Who represents and. Uh, Various ones like that. <laughs> I was having to write down who represents. I'm not sure. 
<laughs> keep keep going. I'll, I'll yes. get this. NTS. Various ones like that. Oh! <laughs> okay, that's fun. <laughs> uh, it, we're partway through the program now, and I've realized we should probably... Now is a good time to bring in the competition. Yes. Yes. It's a competition this, uh, this week. Yes, that's the time frame. The competition this week. <laughs> <laughs> me can no brain good. Me been convention leads like... Hang on, are you speaking pigeon English like uh, Prince Charles recently did? <laughs> I don't, I don't even know anymore. I'm kind, of, I'm tired, but I'm high on interest, so it, I'm, I'm kind of fl- flippity flopping between. <laughs> okay, right. So the prize. <laughs> this is the flat assassin prize bundle, as I yes. have named it. Basically, uh, one of the problems I've realised that we have on the Geek Show is that when we get prizes, we often get a lot of similar ones that you can't put in a normal package. Like we had a big problem before Kitacon with posters. We had so many poster prizes, and the best way we found to give them away was just to take them to a convention and give them to people because they're kind of hard to transport, uh, especially because you need multiple poster tubes and they're kind of expensive. So this is the the theme of this prize giveaway is flat stuff. Yes. So pretty things to put on your pretty walls. Now, uh, basically, I'm going to go up. In terms of coolness, so we got like a Nintendo keyring. It's a nice flat keyring with a Nintendo logo. It's nice and effective. We have uh, a postcard from Luke Searle, who was at uh, Thought Bubble himself. He's the Lord of Puns. Uh, there is an interview with him on the MCM uh, October episode from thegeekshow.co.uk. You can download it there. Uh, there is. Do you, what? What's your hand yeah, for? Okay. No, no, I want to ask the question. Okay. Uh, there, okay. There is a set of Disgaea Four stickers, thanks to NIS America, along with. Set of pretty wristbands, like wristbands of the prinnies, the, the the penguins that explode from Disgaea, and they're awesome and adorable, and I want the hats. Uh, some wristbands of them, also NIS America. We have a, a later interview comes up with Crazy Fox Machine, uh, aka Owen Watts, who has made us this. Uh, well, he he was one of the artists in the Professor Elemental comic, and we have this lovely print of some Professor Elemental washing up on the shore of the Bunny Man and fighting oceans and finding a squid in his helmet. Uh, and that is signed on the back by him, so you can stick it on your wall and be all pretty. And finally, the big one, the big awesome thing, which we got at London Expo, is a signed Assassin's Creed 3 beautiful piece of art. And it's a a limited print run, one of 1,000. So, like, this is quite limited. And it is signed on the front by Stephen Masters, uh, who is the lead games designer we interviewed from Assassin's Creed 3. It is genuinely gorgeous. I put it on Facebook earlier. I will be tweeting it out uh, at yes. some point today if I can find it on my phone, actually. It's a good idea. And it, it's really pretty. It's, it's like got paint splashed everywhere. It is cool. And it is of the, uh, the third assassin that Desmond goes into the mind of. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll announce the question, or maybe questions we haven't decided yet, at the end of the show, because Harry and I need to have a bit of a discussion, because I've just had a thought. Oh, no. And it's never good when I have thoughts. We were so ready. <laughs> <laughs> we but will announce the question at the end, but they do know what, what they can win, so uh, stay tuned. The competition will run until... The, the competition will run until our next show, yes. which will be next week. We're going to do the same format we did for last week's thing with the Borderlands competition, because that went really well, and people, yeah. people got a chance to enter who couldn't listen in our time zone, such as the Americans, the Latvians, and the Lithuanians. Yes. Who... Again, hi, um, nice to meet you. I'm, I'm glad that you listened. That's really weird and affirming. Uh, but basically, yes, so we will be announcing at the end of this show. And yes. then 
tomorrow because I've been busy, I will put up a post on the website with full details of the competition, uh, which will give you, like, here's what the prizes are, some photos, here's how you win, you send an email to Studio at the Geek Show with the answer, and then we will announce the winner, Who and you can still enter the competition during our next program next week. Same time, same bad time, same bad place, Sunday, yes. 6 to 8. Right, where are we now? Okay. We're on big stalls. Big uh, stalls. We've got uh, a few more interviews to get through. Yeah, we have. Uh, this her section will have an interview with Crazy Fox Machine, Owen Watts, who is one of the artists of the Professor Elemental comic. One of the great things about Thought Bubble is because it's comic-specific, it does allow for people who don't have, uh, who have stuff to, who have wares to sell, but not a consistent comic or like a degree of fame, uh, which is an odd one to, I'm finding it hard to differ. Basically, there's big people and there's more unknown indie people. Like, big people would include Dr. Jeff Banyard, who... Uh, who, I, who I stayed with, who was awesome, uh, uh, who brought the Travelling Tea Museum, which took us two and a half hours to set up, which was incredibly labour-intensive. Yep. Uh, it was, it's a beautiful museum, though. Uh, do go to a convention if you can see Jeff there, because the Tea Museum's awesome. It's really so cool. Uh, but then there's much smaller things as well. For example, there was a, a guy I saw who had one table and just loads of his artwork, and he's a freelancer. And it's Mr. Owen Watts, Crazy Fox Machine. And basically, he's worked on all kinds of random things. He's, he was one of the artists in the Professor Elemental comic, uh, as we were saying. He has done his, a thing, a collaboration with lots of other people called Dr. WTF, which is a random, psychedelic kind of combination of different people who love Doctor Who, putting in wibbly random stuff. Uh, he's at his new project, it's the Psychedelic Journal of Time Travel, which will be a very similar thing. It's going to be just big, bold colors, neon-like and just be a big, fun, wibbly journey through time travel and all kinds of sci-fi. And basically, yeah, I interviewed him about working on the, the Profs comic, uh, how that worked out in the first place, how it came about, and what it's like being a freelancer, because that's, I, I find that a really interesting idea. You know, for someone having to say, I can do good art, please, someone have a pitch that I like so I can do some good arts. Uh, so yes, he's far more articulate than that, for he's from Bristol. So we'll be playing that interview with him uh, now. This is the Geek Show interview with Owen Watts. Hello, it's nice to meet you. Hello to you. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff spread all over the thing, and including, like, I think it was your friend who had a, a big jam snail, which is a slug, even, which is interesting. Yes. Uh, a, that, that's a Jamela and Marmalade. That's uh, written by uh, my partner, Jazz, and drawn by me, and it was a, a webcomic that we did over the course of about half a year, and then we've just put it out in this kind of... It's like a long, it's like a long print book, so it's quite wide... And people have been just like, that's such an oddly sized thing, I must buy it. Which is uh, innuendo, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, we should do a count. That's, that's number one. Okay, number one. <laughs> we'll see how far we can get uh, as we move into the thing that attracted me to the stall. You've got the Professor Elemental comic, and, and you drew in it. Uh, uh, yes, um, until earlier this day, we had, uh, well, earlier this day, and yesterday, we had Chris Mole, and, and Chris Mole is the man that wrote it. Uh, he wrote all the stories in it, and he was the one that pitched it to Elemental in the first place. Um, so it's going to be, uh, yeah. So it's been it's been good, and we've got. And he came to me, and I I drew the last one. Uh, the first story was by a chap called Ghost Pockets. Uh, he lives in Canada, and the second story is amazingly painted by a guy called James Feist, who lives in Portsmouth, and he's formerly a tattoo artist. Oh. Cool. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, and we just—I think uh, Chris put it to him. He agreed to it, and we 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 did it. And he's incredibly enthusiastic and a very lovely man to work with. Sweet. How did you get into contact with Chris to draw for it? Uh, well, Chris is from—I went to uni in Sheffield, 
and Chris was, uh, we, we were both in the Rock Society at Sheffield University. Chris was the president. Chris was the president and I, a lowly member. And he was the president of rock. <laughs> it's pretty cool. The pre- yeah, he's been demoted now to just standard rock. No, he's, um, he's also the guitarist in um, a folk metal band called Northern Oak, who are Sheffield-based. Folk metal, the concept is... That's amazing, me. <laughs> There's a flute. <laughs> they're, they're like, a, yeah, there's flute. Flute, now it's folk, deal with yes, it. Yes, he is, he is like quadri-talented, quadri if that's a word, which it isn't. But it is now. And he does, yeah, so he's a guitarist and... And uh, I don't know why, every time I say guitarist, I always mime playing guitar as if someone's like, <laughs> I wonder what instrument he's talking about. Is it the flat one with all the white and black keys? The best part is your, your guitar mine look, looks like a tuba. Yeah, it's, it's always a tiny guitar. It's never, <laughs> <laughs> it's never the full size. Uh, yeah, the other thing that we have is um, Dr. WTF, and that's an anthology that I edited. And that's, uh, it's two years old this year, and it's over. We're, we're leaving it, we're dropping it. And the issues you can see on the table now, not not you, dear listener, but <laughs> but there are are the last four in existence. Those are the final four. Um, and next year, I'm launching the psychedelic journal of time travel, which is um, launching at at uh, Cardiff, and that's a, a, a similar thing, a bright, colourful anthology, lots of small press British artists and writers, weird, properly weird. It, the colours on the Dr. WTF do look very, as you say, psychedelic. It's a very vibrant the, 70s style. The cover is by uh, Colin McNeil, 2000 AD artist, who's um, the most amazing man and looks identical to Terry Pratchett. So how did uh, WTF, uh, Dr. WTF actually get together? How did you and the other contributors? I wanted to do a comic, and that was, that was literally it. I think I just felt like... No, I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to sell something. I wanted to have something that I could sell to, to people at conventions. And then I put the call out, and the pitch was: um, uh, take the basic idea of Doctor Who. So everyone knows. Everyone knows the basic idea, even if they yeah. don't watch the series. They know it's a, an alien who travels through time in the TARDIS. Yeah. So the TARDIS doesn't. The TARDIS is in all the stories, pretty much, because the TARDIS is iconic. But the rest of it is just completely mutated. In one story, for example, um, he's a gorilla. And one of the pictures we had, which was, n- was never in any of them, annoyingly, was um, the doctor, he travelled on a motorbike through time with a dog called Tardis. That was a great Dane. <laughs> but um, uh, the artist never finished it, unfortunately, so we didn't get that. That's the nature of small press, really. But, yeah, we, um, you give, it's amazing. Um, if you get on the right... If you get amplified enough and you have this concept, the, the writers are there. They just want to pitch to you. So um, for the Psychedelic Journal, for example, we, um, I started uh, to ask for pitches in July um, and I've already, had just, I've already had enough to fill two issues just alone with writers. And now so it comes to, um, to finding, uh, finding the artists and getting them to uh, uh, involved. Are you fond of working uh, with a lot of other people then to put something together? Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic. Um, the thing is, it's not just it's not just you. That's uh, I was terribly scared of uh, Jamila and Marmalade. The Jam Slug comic is my. It's the first thing I've actually sold at a convention that's just me, and it scares the hell out of me because I don't want because because if you've got other people, then you've got I mean you've got a beautiful cover artist, um, uh, you've got wonderful other artists in it uh, who uh, and so many other names and talents that will draw people's attention and then it's not you going hi this is all me check out how brilliant i am because because then people will come up and go well you're not brilliant you're you're in fact awful and i won't buy it 
Well, no, they don't say it, but that's yeah, that's yeah. the thought process, obviously. Yeah. Or, at least, or at least the worry that they might be able to do that. Where yeah. It's like, I'm brawling myself. Well, I, if I can nut back that, ooh, what if I, oh, yeah, ooh. And then it collapses into a yeah. pile on the floor. Yeah, it's difficult self-promotion sometimes. And collaboration, I suppose, is the benefit of going, this guy who made page two is amazing. Yeah. And you should buy it for page two, plus some of my fluff. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a buffer that helps you... <laughs> <laughs> that helps you kind of take attention away from, I suppose, yourself and your own contribution to it. But the Elemental comic's good for... That's got three people. I wish I had more, but it's... <laughs> but then... But, but the next one is going to be, I think, twice the size, maybe three times the size. Ooh. With uh, Chris is putting that together, so I've got no idea what's going in that. I think I'm doing the centre, and we've got um, the cover artist for uh, Dr. What, uh, WTF is uh, Colin McNeil, as I said before, and he's doing the next Elemental and then there's a big hyper-secret project. I don't actually know how hyper-secret, so I don't know whether I bring it up or not. But it's going to be like an album comic crossover thing. Oh, that would be awesome. Love a bit of that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm all up for the, the Professor comic getting bigger and better. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I'll, I'll look for your comic scene. Thanks so much for talking to me. Cheers. Thank you. Awesome. Hello. I'm Professor Elemental, and whenever I'm not riding a badger around my grounds or hitting my monkey butler with a stick, I'm listening to The Geek Show, and my God, I love it. Ah, oh, but now we are back with The Thought Bubble Show. My jeans are falling down now because of all the pennies. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what look you're giving me, but stop giving me it. Oh, my. But yes, we're back with uh, the fact, another thing about The Thought Bubble. It is an all-ages convention. Uh, there was actually loads of kids. There was one guy with a pram going around, and he kept storing comics in the pram along with his baby, uh, which is adorable. I love that. Reading from such a young age, uh, or at least looking at covers. Uh, Are you sure there was a baby in there? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. It was adorable. Reading the comics? Well, no, just kind of looking at them. Are you sure it was looking at the comics and not, like, chewing on the comics? <laughs> it, was a, it isn't a puppy, it's a baby. And Babies it, chew on things. It was asleep most of the time, I saw him around a little. Yeah, how could you sleep when your dad's flinging comics at you? And we, and he, wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't chucking them into the pram. <laughs> like, baby, catch! You're my butler. Here, hold no. this. <laughs> no, there was, like, some storage room. It was a tiny baby. <laughs> Babies are tiny. You have quite big prams so they can grow a bit in them. They grow a lot in the I first know. few months. I was going to say, you have siblings and stuff. I, I have looked after kids before. Oh, okay. And I've got so, loads of nephews and nieces, don't mm-hmm. forget. Yeah, that's the thing. So yeah, because Thorpeball was all ages, there was, like, there's a lot of uh, younger kids around as well, as the usual, like, the older interested and the anime crowd who are all in cosplay. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, younger people around there with their parents, which I, I think was a great uh, thing to see for once. Uh, and the venue, of course, being the Royal Armouries Museum, which is all ages and free entry, is very welcoming to that kind of environment as well. It's also really clean and nice. So if you get comics, then you can just go to one of the cafes. There's like three different cafes on the, over the five different floors. Sit down, have a, some cake, and drink tea while you read a comic, which I did at one point, which was actually fantastic. And I, then I got to interview the people. So it's a functional system. Uh, but because it's comics for all ages... Uh, the Phoenix were there. The Phoenix comic is what used to be called a DFC uh, before basically the, there were a, a small uh, weekly comic for kids and uh, basically the publishers, when the recession hit, was like, ooh, you're risky and pulled the funding and now they came back uh, as the Phoenix after one of the, the the buyers, the subscribers, actually, whose child learned to read through the DFC uh, said, no, no, you guys should come back. You should totally do this. And with that person's help, they came back as the Phoenix rising from the ashes. 
The Phoenix is a weekly uh, children's uh, comic with loads of original stories in it. Uh, some hilarious, some actually kind of educational, like Corpse Talk is educational. It's the story of a guy who digs up corpses and then does an interview with them inside the actor's studio style, and they talk about their life. Uh, they're also undead, which is which is really fun. Uh, and I spoke to uh, Will Fickling, who's the editor, who's a really great guy as well. And so we talked about the importance of comics for children, and th- the Phoenix is a big deal, just so people know. that It's really cool. If there's geek parents out there, then definitely look it up, because it's it's reasonably priced, it's very frequent, there's subscription packages on their website, and Christmas packages as well. Uh, and they they go all over, there's shops all over England, some in America as well. They had seven tables, and they were doing like they were doing giveaways where people would go to the artists at their individual tables who work on the Phoenix, and they would get like a feather with a comic shop name on it. They would come back, and then not only does it advertise the comic shops, which is something we've said is awesome, comic people advertising the shops that don't sell them at, but then they would be able to get a free issue of the Phoenix. And I, I got one to review. Uh, after this show, there will be a review of everything I got. Uh, from Thought Bubble, purchased or otherwise, because that I didn't get a single bad thing. I didn't get anything crap from Thought Bubble. They were all really cool publications, and I'm happy to plug any of them. Uh, there'll also be full versions of the interviews, like the interview you are going to hear in just a moment with the editor Will Fickling of the Phoenix Magazine. Again and again, this guy has a lot on his plate. It's a weekly thing. It's uh, loads of different collaborators working all at the same time. Some of the stories are standalone, like uh, Bunny vs. Monkey, which is hilarious. I just read that one. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. And some of them are like consistent, like there's a sci-fi series, there's a fantasy series. And it's so, basically yeah. like, uh, in a sense, it's a bit like a more comedic version of 2000 AD. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of like, I think of it like a cartoon network in a book form. Uh, yeah, or, uh, do you know, it's weird. 2000 AD has been going for how many years now? Not 2000, is it? No, 2000 AD. Okay, I was how many decades? Oh, the com- the comic collective. Twelve, twelve decades. No, no, for like years. <laughs> I, I I don't know. 2000 I, AD. I, is I really don't. To, I don't it's know. been around since be- since before I was born. And how the hell would I know? It would have been in its adolescence before I was born. How long has Judge Dredd been around? Since the beginning of Justice. Since well before that. Before there was justice? Yes, he is the law, remember? <laughs> I don't know, you tell me. Now, it's been around since like the early 70s, 2000 AD. Oh. So we're talking like 40 odd years for a comic collective. Wow, it's that's the, pretty impressive. As far as I know, it's the oldest one of its type. Because um, then you get others like Heavy Metal, even Sean and Jump. Um, mm. So it's nice to see something like this. Yeah, something uh, refreshing like this. And there was actually some awesome Judge Dredd stuff going on with the... There was a screening in the very theory of the Judge Minty fan film, yes. which is awesome, and I'm talking to the guys on, I want to do an interview with them. Basically, if Judge Minty screens anywhere near you, it is a really faithful, really good adaptation of one of the judges from Judge Dredd. Right. But first... Yes, Will Fickling, editor of the Phoenix comic. This is the Geek Show interview with Will Fickling of uh, the Phoenix uh, comics. How are you? How's I'm very well, hello. Woo. <laughs> uh, it's day two at Thought Bubble. How's it been going for you and the Phoenix guys? You've got uh, like six or eight tables or something ridiculous. We have. We've got like uh, table 51 to 57 and 64. We, Thought Bubble have been fantastic with us and now um, all the staff are hugely helpful. Very, very, very um, interested in making sure we've, got a, we've had a good experience, which we have. Um, day one yesterday was very busy. 
Um, I didn't realise how tiring talking all day is, but uh, it's it's been fantastic and had lots of kids coming up and being really interested by the Phoenix. Lots of subscribers um, who already know of us um, and coming in, sort of getting uh, pictures and stuff drawn by artists of their favourite strips. Um, so it's been it's been highly enjoyable. I think we'll definitely be back next year. Fantastic! That first hand interaction must be really great to see for a publication that you just put out and then hope that people enjoy it. It is. Yeah. It's really what keeps you going. I mean. Uh, in and of itself producing a comic like The Phoenix is hugely enjoyable I mean I get to work with words and pictures all day which on its own is great but you can sometimes get mired in the weekly grind of producing something that has to be out every Friday otherwise you suddenly have you know, broken your machine but um, that thing of that, that sort of like I suppose it's your customer feedback but it's actually sort of like letters and drawings from nine year olds saying how much they love it and that Bunny vs Monkey is their favourite strip or they can't wait to see the next guest on Corpse Talk it's, it's a very very gratifying thing Thing indeed, and, and to see it have that face to face experience here at a convention is something you don't get in, in the office. Um, so, yeah, it's been that's been one of the high points, I think. Oh, yeah, it must be great. It's a compilation of comics, it's weekly, as you say. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, almost an anthology title, I suppose. It's been described as such, but we like almost like to think of it as like, um, like a children's TV channel broadcasting out. Um, just amazing stories and entertaining sort of puzzles and you know all we're not we're not genre specific at all and we are absolutely definitely for boys and girls um, of that sort of age group between sort of eight and twelve. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of like a platform just for, for glorious things to entertain kids. Really, I mean that's that, that's that's probably a phoenix in a nutshell. Hopefully. Hmm. Oh yeah, I, I love it. It's fantastic. And there's. There's some ongoing stories, and there's some like single things that you only need that one volume for. Are you mentioning a corpse talk and Bunny vs. Monkey, which I believe are both uh, very contained within a single yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very self-contained. But yeah, that's another big, huge part of it. Um, the, uh, we have strips like Pirates of Pangea and Zara's Crown, which has started recently and sort of wrapping up towards the end of the year, um, which is sort of long, long-form serial stories that are told over many, many weeks, sometimes as long as 20 episodes. Things like that, which we hope to later collect, and collect into books and you know, sell them as books in their own right. But um, yeah, that's also another big part of the Phoenix. I mean, I, th- I think that's something that's missing from other children's comics at the moment. I mean, there are a few here and there um, produced for children that are as books. But in terms of like a weekly comic format, I think there's very little there out there in terms that is, you know, that epic long-form serial storytelling. Um, I think that's something we do very well and and we'll definitely keep doing in the future. I think it's part of what defines us. Fantastic. Uh, Personally, I consider comics to be very important for kids because it helps get them into reading. Yeah, hugely important. Yeah, yeah, large numbers of pictures, small amounts of words, and so it's a great way in from, you know, like television to reading to books, in theory, hopefully, how the system works. Or they could say with comics, there's adult comics, it could all be fine anyway, Uh, which, which I like. The thing is, like, the thing I like about The Phoenix is that I once read, uh, I got gifted a Doctor Who book that was very clearly aimed at the child audience of Doctor Who. Mm. And it was a perfectly fine story, it's just that the way it was presented was very condescending for an adult to read. Yeah. I didn't feel that with The Phoenix. I felt like it was simple enough to follow, oh, but, at, saying, yeah. but at no point did it kind of talk down. That's exactly what we try not to. We try not to talk down to our readers. I think um, kids are often underestimated in what they can deal mm. with and what they can cope with, emotionally as well as in terms of the sophistication of any sort of strip. I mean, we have puzzles which, you know, uh, in the back of the, of the Phoenix, they're hugely complicated, but they're so lovely uh, wrought and drawn by um, 
Lorenzo Etherington, one of our artists, uh, and this, they are led in every single time with a little piece of story that it just sort of absorbs the child, and they will spend, you know, even sometimes an hour or two, like trying to decipher and come up with the answers, and we get brilliant responses from our readers after, like, you know, fraught puzzle-solving sessions, telling us the answers. That sometimes um, solutions to which the grown-ups, you know, eludes them as well. I mean, because it, it, it doesn't it captures your imagination first, so you're willing to put in that time, which I think sometimes, you know, an adult reader might come to and think, oh, this is impossible, I can't do it. But how did the feeling start up, and where do you want it to? go um well we started actually we've got sort of like uh quite a deep history to how it how it actually came about um i was originally back in sort of like 2008 2009 working on a publication called the dsc um which was actually sort of like the first draft a great thing in its own right of what is now the phoenix but that was attached to a, a large corporation by the name of random house that they sort of gave us the startup capital to go ahead with that but they closed us in 2009 after sort of the recession started hitting because we you know, we're just a, a risky startup. Um, but actually, you know, like now a couple of years later, we um, we are now back on our feet thanks to one of our old readers. In fact, um, well, the uh, you know the, the angel basically behind the Phoenix and allowing us to print a weekly comic again was actually a parent of one of our readers who learned to read using the DFC, um, which is just a fantastic story in itself. Um, so that is why we are back again. Um, reincarnated, hence the name The Phoenix. Um, and of course, like, you know, nice sort of reference back to the old school uh, comics of the 60s and 70s, like The Eagle and things like that, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, that's how we came about again. We, we, we really like, if the, for a grassroots reason, is we love comics and uh, we want to make more and we think there's something that should be in children's hands and be read by children um, and something that's slightly missing in the form The Phoenix is in this country. Fantastic. Uh- Thanks very much for talking to me. Cheers, thank you very much. Awesome. I just want to stress, when he's talking about the Phoenix, he's not talking about the one that always gets killed by Wolverine. <laughs> no, 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 no. This one's available from the Phoenix the phoenixcomic.co.uk. Uh, and yes, that was brilliant Will Fickling with his great vision to bring comic literature to children. He's got a great surname, Fickling. Fickling. That's some great surnames in, the, in Thought Bubble this time. I, yeah, I found. and uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Wild Goose? Yeah, Wild Goose and Reed. Yes, Wild Goose and Reed. Um, it just sounds like a yeah. fish shaking. Reed, Wild so, Goose! Abby Ryder just sounds like some kind of spy. <laughs> Abby Ryder? Hmm. Yeah. That'd be cool. Alex Ryder was a spy, wasn't he? Alex Ryder. I t- no, yeah. Alex Ryder was someone else. But I can't remember. That was Alex Ryder. He was some kind of superhero type person. I don't know, but we're low on time. Yes, so we are low on time. We're in the next section, which is comics for adults, which is the reverse of the last one. Yes. <laughs> Because there were some adulty things going on. Not only Thousand AD were there. As uh, we adulty things by adulty things. What do we mean? Let's be specific. Fetish man. <laughs> yeah, fetish man. <laughs> Sorry, adulty things. What I mean, yeah, like you know, uh, comics for adults. So they're aimed at adults, or at least have adult content, like swears and rudies, uh, to such things, and they have to be read by them. Uh, and so there was two main things which stuck out to me. One is that there was the screening of the Judge Minty fan film, which is really good. It's not one of those things where, oh, it's good for a fan film. No, no, it, it's just outrightly really impressive. I mean, the acting is solid. It's incredibly faithful. Over the credits, in the background, they actually have slides of the original uh, comics where Judge Minty is doing the things that he does in the film, as if to brag about the level of faithfulness, Yeah, which I find fantastic, especially considering how, you know, the problems people had with the original Judge Dredd film was the lack of faithfulness the fact he took his helmet off and all kinds of, you know, this was, is not it, dread. It was Stallone. Yeah. The amount of, this I is not all. dread. This is Stallone. Stallone! Uh, and all that kind of, you know, Adrian stuff. Uh, 
And that film was fantastic. Look, look for the screenings if they have one near you. I'm trying to get an interview done with them. I'm trying to get something sorted to to help get it out there to more people. But if you go, if you search for Judgmental, you'll find their website. It contains all the stuff. There's some fantastic props. The costumes are amazing. The acting is brilliant, and the CG is goddamn impressive considering it's a fan film. Not only the like the massive CG, like the big falcon-shaped tower of justice and stuff, but there's like. Uh, they go to the the what's it called the cursed earth, uh, the wastelands, and Judgment Day fights a lot of people. And there's a lot of different bullet mechanics, and there's some practical effects, some CG effects, and it's really good. Uh, Excellent. So yeah, uh, check out that thing. Other thing that was adulty is the guys that we see a lot of conventions, but I've never spoken to before because their banners are terrifying. Is T Publications, author main mainly known for the publication Twisted Dark, which is a very dark series of comics that. Currently, uh, the first one is available on, um, what was it, Comics, Comixology. It's available on Comixology, which is an app, as it also works in your browser, for 69p, or 99 cents. Uh, it, it's creepy. It's creepy stuff. It's, it's psychological thriller, as Neil Gibson, the man in charge of it, whom I interviewed, will say for himself. Uh, he's in charge of P publications. He has made Twisted Dark, three volumes of which. The book Tabitha, which I saw a sample of, and it's amazing. Tortured Life and upcoming print titles include The World of a Chub Chub, Twisted Light, and Twisted Sci-Fi. So, here we are with Neil Gibson. Uh, this is happened, the Geek Show interview with Neil Gibson of Twisted Dark and various other brilliant, creepy comics. Uh, hello, how are you? Well, I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Uh, pretty tired after yesterday. Saturday was really packed. Uh, today it's nice to have a bit of a cool down pace. Yeah, it looks like you uh, haven't slept well. Was that because you read my stories last night? Yes. <laughs> that may not have been a great idea. Uh, it's, it's actually funny because people say that it's horror, but I never classify my writing as horror. I, I, I classify it as psychological thriller. So I'm interested in the human mind, why people do things they do. There's no hack slash or stuff in my, in my books. It's all just uh, the crazy things that people actually do do. Uh, how would you describe Twisted Dark and the other comics that uh, you produce? How would I describe them? Mm. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I mean, I'm not sure I understand. You mean in terms of uh, what they're about or in yeah. terms of you know, what they're about? Okay. What they're about, like continuing stories or single stories? Okay, short sure, things. sure. So well, right now we have three titles out. We have Twisted Dark, we've got uh, uh, Tor- Tortured Life and Tabitha. Uh, so what Tabitha is about, it's about uh, a postman who goes around, so it's a mailman just in the U.S., and he goes around to uh, people's houses delivering mail, and then whoever doesn't pick up their mail, he no- makes a note and then robs them because they're not at home. And that goes well for the first couple of times, then it goes horribly wrong on the third one, and that's when the story kicks off. Uh, Tortured Life is a bit more paranormal. It's uh, about a guy who gradually gets the ability to see how people are going to die. So anything he looks at, he knows how it's going to die. And it's, it's how he copes with that, what's, what he decides to do with it. And, of course, there's always the usual twists that I, I like doing. Uh, Twisted Dark is the first thing I ever wrote in my life. Um, so I, I, my background is an engineer, so I only started writing uh, two years ago. I'd never written anything before that. And Twisted Dark's product of that a series of short stories, kind of like The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits or Tales of the Unexpected. But all the stories connect with each other, like in Pulp Fiction, where I saw these different strands all mesh together. That's the, the one we sell most of so far. And there's three volumes out right now. And I describe it as psychological thriller, as, as we said before. I think that's a good enough answer, I hope. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Uh, uh, so is Tabitha a consistent storyline? Does it go beyond the sample that I read? Oh, absolutely. That was just the first issue. Um, there's, there's four issues. So, so what happened with Tortured Life was that's a 10-issue um, story. 
Um, but, but because we were unknown, we were a brand new publishing house, the comic book shop said it's, it's risky for us to, because when that's collected, that'll be in two or three trades. That's risky for us to stock it. It's much better off just having one book to stock. We thought, ah, that's actually good feedback. So we put Torture Life on hold to make Tabitha, which is four issues, be one trade. And when that's finished, we'll go back and finish Tortured Life. But we're also making Twisted Light, um, Twisted Sci-Fi's in production. We're making um, The World of Chub Chub, which will be out in about a month's time. That's like Calvin and Hobbes type things. Oh, cool. So very differential. Um, you don't do the art as I believe. You have a lot of different artists you work with. No, to, to draw art requires talent. So <laughs> no, uh, I don't do that. Uh, we have a lead illustrator. His name is Casper. He's brilliant. He's sitting right behind you. Um, yeah, and, but I, I use a variety of artists for, for Twisted Dark because it means I can produce content more quickly and it also lets me find artists that I like and I'm comfortable dealing with and I pick them to work on my on new ongoing series with. Fantastic idea. Uh, what's oh, the, thank you. <laughs> uh, one of your, I think Volume 1 of Twisted Dark is currently available online and it's incredibly cheap. How did that thing come around? Oh yeah, so you can buy the entire uh, volume of Twisted, uh, Twisted Dark Volume 1 for 69 pence. If you go to our website, um, that's tpublications.com or neilgibsoncomics.com, it'll explain how to do that. Or it just, It's for your iPhone. It's through an app called Comixology. Uh, it came about because we were offering it at an incredibly cheap price because we think if people go, oh, for that price, I'll just give it a go. And everyone who reads us comes back to buy the next ones. So because we're an unknown, we want to get, make sure people are aware of us. And we're lucky enough to have a very loyal fan base. People like the stuff we do, and so they come back for the others. Fantastic. Oh, and uh, Comixology also works in your browser very well, I've found. So. Our vision is quite different. We don't want to just make money on this. We want to revolutionize how comics are viewed in the UK. We're actually very passionate about this, and that's one of the key factors when deciding who gets to work with us. We get people who volunteer to work for us for free because they believe in what we're trying to do. If you, It's not uncommon people in the UK to say, oh, I used to read comics, but I grew up. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that annoys me so much because imagine someone said, oh, I used to watch plays when I grew up. I used to read books when I grew up. It just mean, means your taste change, but then you just pick the content that suits your, your more sophisticated taste. There are some incredibly sophisticated, intelligent comics out there, as I'm sure your readers will, your listeners will know. There's, there's an incredible variety out there. You just have to pick stuff that, that you like. Don't write off a medium because all you ever read was the Beano or Dandy. Because as you grow up, yes you'll stop reading that but then you move on to other things you may read Eden Blyton when you're younger but you can read uh, Joyce when you're older Henry James whatever yeah exactly it's something we actually get really angry about on the show as well that comics and cartoons are very frequently in the West viewed as a kids medium when in Japan like manga and anime people go it's a medium for all kinds of things and so you had like kids anime you have adult anime teen anime you go through all kinds of different phases but in the West it's much more of a blocked off idea Absolutely. I was actually giving a talk exactly about this at the Apple Store on Regent Street uh, on Thursday because uh, I really believe in it and um, they they like what I want to hear. And I want to give talks. I've been invited to give talks at universities about this as well because I really want to change people's perception because everyone who works in comics will benefit from it. It's not just me. I I care about the industry and I want to help it. It's been fantastic seeing you. I hope the rest of the thought bubble treats you well. Thanks very much. Thanks. Cheers. All the best. Ah, it's always good to talk to someone who also really wants the industry to develop, or at least people to develop their mindset when regarding a certain industry. Uh, and yeah, that Neil Gibson is fantastic. He's done talks at Apple stores. He wants to do talks at universities. And he want, one thing we talked about afterwards is you can nominate people for TED Talks, uh, which would be interesting because I, I, I nominated Peter Vardy a while ago, who's a, who's a great scholar. Uh, in, for his research into the fields of various philosophies. And 
so yeah, I, I've also gone to TED and nominated uh, Neil Gibson to talk about comics as a medium and the differences in different levels of maturity for comics and the perception versus the reality. And I would heartily encourage anyone else there, out there as well to do the same. You just have to go into TED and TED.com and you know, fill out a thing saying who you want and what they're good at talking about. Uh, I think you have to give your email address, but it wasn't anything too invasive. So yeah, go do that. Neil Gibson's work is amazing. So amazing, in fact, that I had to ask him really nicely. But we got a copy of Twisted Dark Volume 2, signed by him to give away at some point. So should be doing that after this flat competition, the Flat Assassin Bundle. Yes, Flat Assassin. Mm-hmm. He's uh, signed the book as well. And basically, we went for Volume 2, because Volume 1 right now, as we said, go to Comixology, it works in your browser, and it's in apps. 69p, you can get Twisted Dark Volume 1. You've, you've wasted 69p on other things. That's cheaper than McDonald's. That's cheaper than Costa Coffee. Go on, just get some literature in you. It's good stuff. It's, it's all really... What? Get some literature in you. Right up there. Mm. All, I'm not sure what we're doing anymore, but it's not safe for radio. Yes. So, getting to the end of the program. Yes, we are at the end of the program. Um, just a quick reminder mm-hmm. of the prizes that yes. you win. Uh, lovely, 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 gorgeous... Uh, Assassin's, Assassin's Creed 3 art print signed by signed by Stephen Massis the lead designer of Assassin's yes. Creed 3 we have the Professor Mel Elemental art print signed by Owen Watts Crazy Fox Machine who made that piece of art yes a Luke Searle postcard signed by Luke Searle Disguise stickers printy wristbands a Nintendo keyring and for all of that you merely must answer the following question what is right Assassin's Creed 3 this yeah. is in right? Assassin's Creed 3 what Desmond is- takes on the role of a guy from uh, Colonial uh, America. Uh, yeah, guy from Colonial half America. Half English, half Mohawk. Yes. What is this character's real name? Yes. Okay. We what? don't want what he's also known as because he's also known as Connor. Yes. That's not the name we're looking for. Partly because, as I said to Tab when I was coming back from MCM Expo, it goes Altair and then Ezio de Adatois de Frenze and then Connor. Yeah. And it's like, and then Bill, which is just kind of naff. But Jeff. <laughs> yes, but Connor is called that because his real name, I don't know how to pronounce. We're not even going to mention it. And I don't know how to spell. Yes. Uh, you Feel free to copy and paste this one. You yes. may have to look it up. You may have to look this up and you may have to copy and paste. Uh, but we want the main character, the, we want the main character's real name, mm-hmm. not what he's also known as because he's also known as Connor. Yeah, not the main character Desmond, but the guy he takes on the form of in uh, Colonial America. Yeah. Uh, so yes, what is Connor's real, like... Tribal, yeah. tribal, I suppose. The, what, what is Connor's, Connor's real, real name? name? Send your answer and your T-shirt. Well, actually, no. Simplify there's, no, it. there's not a T-shirt. In one Assassin's one Creed Three, what is Connor's real name? Yeah, in Assassin's Creed Three, what is Connor's real name? Send your answer to studio at thegeekshow.co.uk, uh, and then you have until the next show, which until is, the end of the next show, until the end of the next show, we will take things during the next show as well, and yes. I will put it on the website tomorrow to be available for everyone to view. Yes, and then your answer will be, and then basically we'll go through all the correct ones, and randomly chosen will be the person who wins. Uh, careful with the spelling it is a bit of a wibbly one it is a bit of a wibbly one we will accept uh, we will accept ones that are that basically are pronounced the same even if they're not spelt correctly if someone romanizes this to be like five letters long and it looks like Kevin but it works then no you are a genius A you are a genius (laughs) but B no you could be too smart about this stuff yes I know Um, but yes (laughs) oh god Uh, (laughs) My name's Connor. My real name, Tyler. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ancient Native American Mohawk warrior, Tyler Perry. 
Uh, <laughs> At least it's not Tyler God. Durden. Uh, but before yes. we leave out, there is that. There is, yes, so send the answer to studio.thegeeshow.co.uk. Email us with your name and stuff and you know, like address of where you want to send the prizes. Uh, the last book, the Borderlands 2 prize pack is on its way. And next week, we'll be having an interview with someone completely different. Yes. Now for someone completely different. It's John the Trout, Tra- isn't it? Yes, John Troutman, a.k.a. The Only Trout on Twitter, who, the author of Mary Elizabeth Sock, Sporkman, uh, and Litbrick. Yes. And he's really cool. The interview was really long. But then we had MCM, and then I was away, and now we're doing Thought Bubble. So even though I interviewed him like three weeks ago, I haven't had a chance to put it on the program. So I'm looking yes. forward to that coming out. He's a great, interesting guy, and you should read his works. Yes. Book club style. Read Mary Elizabeth Sock, and then we can talk about it on the program. Yes. We have just come to 8 o'clock. We have been The Geek Show. I've been Harry Bentley, and he's not. Yes, I've not been Harry Bentley. I've been someone else. Uh, I may have been Halo Jones at one point. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Outside of that dream, though, you are Rob. You are an anime reviewer. Uh, check us out on thegeekshow.co.uk. Follow us on Twitter at TGS underscore The Geek Show. And find our YouTube channel, wherein, I'll act, wherein basically as soon as all these things go up to download, and all these interviews will be in fuller form, so they're all like 15 minutes long, from the website, they will also be available on YouTube to listen to for your pleasure which I believe is TGS The Geek Show, or if you just you know search for The Geek Show on us, you'll find us there, along with our MCM interviews. So yes, go out there, have fun, be geeky, be awesome, and uh, have a good night. For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.